Hey, D11. <laughs> Welcome to For Equity, our podcast about all things equity and our journey in this work. So, big sigh. <sighs> yeah, I'm feeling a little downtrodden today, a little sad. Mm-hmm. Things have been a little heavy for us. Yeah. Um, they've been heavy since I would say the end of September. Since our probably last episode. <laughs> yeah, um, they've been very heavy for us. And I think what's been really heavy is some of the misrepresentations of our character and the work that we're doing. So Mm -hmm. before we hop into our first finding, I want to talk like we always do and start with story. Who are you, Zoe? Um, What are your core beliefs and values as an educator? Oh, as an educator, I I really worked to build relationships with kids and I had, you know, I think in order to do that, I had to make myself a real person to them. They had to see me for who I am, and that kind of allowed them to be who they are. And, you know, simple things like, you know, I have a tired kid in class. I'm going to let him sleep. I don't need to ask him questions. I don't need to know their circumstances to see them, to see that they're tired. Right. And... You know, on days that I'm tired, they offered me that same grace. And so that's how the relationship is built and that's how the empathy is built. And as an English teacher, you know, you extend that to the texts and the characters and the authors and the experiences that those people, real or not, are having. And then learning takes place and you are in a safe place to take risks and, you know, build that trust with your community in your classroom and with me and right so that was those are my core beliefs like that kids need to be seen for who they are right I think my core beliefs as an educator and before I go into that I think why it's been so heavy is um, I feel like there's been a misrepresentation of us as humans right yeah. there's been some dignity that's been taken away from us Mm -hmm. and then I think there's been a misrepresentation of our work Um, and so we haven't been seen yes and that lines up with what you talked about right yeah I think for people to understand um, my journey here they need to understand like my heart um, and understand that I've been doing this for almost 20 years um, and very intentionally so in communities that are often not seen Mm-hmm. And my core beliefs and values as an educator are that there are no throwaway children yeah. and there are no communities that we cannot get assets from. Mm-hmm. And that's always my line in the sand. That is always the place where if you're going to get a fight from Alexis, it's around that. Um, yeah, the, my name has been dragged a little bit lately, mm-hmm. right? That's not what has kept me up at night or has made me cry. Mm-hmm. What has kept me up at night and made me cry is that there are some folks in our community that have said some things about our community that give me pause. Things yeah. like they're not doing well in school and they, you can fill in any subgroup in our community because of their cultural deficits. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things give me pause. And that goes against my core beliefs, right? There are no throwaway children. Yeah. And there are no families that don't bring assets, right? Mm-hmm. We have to we have to believe that with our heart, right? So that we can work towards better outcomes for our, our kids and for their families and their communities. And I think we align there like in different words, but 
our communities aren't seen. Yeah. Our, those kids aren't seen. They're not, they don't feel like they belong. They're not valued in their spaces. Right. So when you take all the labels off of it, right, because we're not talking about oppressors and oppressed, right? I have mm -hmm. never used that language before in my life to any child, or my mm -hmm. own children. Um, when we, we take off these titles, is this CRT or is it equity? And we dial down to the real reason that we're doing this work. It's because we want every child to be seen, valued, and affirmed. And aside from all that stuff, if that is too like touchy-filly for you, we know that when we see value and affirm every child, that they are able to reach their fullest potential. Mm -hmm. Because the other thing folks don't know about me is that I, while I don't think education should be partisan, it's probably the most conservative area of my life. I believe in accountability and I believe in excellence and I believe in holding the, the bar very high as referenced and evidenced by the work that I've done even in this district. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's frustrating. But with that being said, we wanted to open that way so that you all could just hear our hearts for a little bit and understand like that there are people behind this work. There are people with values and beliefs about this work and that some of the perceptions about the work are outright false, yeah. but. Because it comes down to, you know, I'm a human who cares about your kid. And that's the thing that I think we all need to be able to agree upon yeah. is that we want what's best for children, all, all children. All of them, yeah, even <laughs> even the kids that give you a hard time. Yeah, because like, we all have them, yeah. right? I, I remember telling you this story, and, and I've told you all this, you know, audience before, that I believe all of these findings, and I feel like the findings are validated with my experiences. Um, because there's a face and a name for every one of these findings. And I think about us, and even this conversation we're having now, and I told you about the little boy named Jimmy that I taught mm -hmm. when he was in second grade. And Jimmy came to me and he couldn't read and he couldn't write, and he told me that at every chance he got. And Jimmy also was really hard to like, y'all. Like he wasn't <laughs> someone that I was like, oh, like you're my favorite kid. He was hard. He would run across the room and throw his body when he didn't get his way. He would take off and I couldn't find him. It was hard, but because of my core beliefs, I couldn't give up on Jimmy, right? So Jimmy would, I'm not writing, I'm not reading, I don't know how to read or write. And I was like, you don't know how to do that yet, Jimmy, but like, I'm gonna hold this bar and I'm gonna hold this level because you will write a paragraph mm -hmm. before you leave here. And Jimmy did not write three paragraph essays like his other peers were doing at the end of second grade. That's that excellence and holding mm -hmm. that bar high. But Jimmy came in not able to write one word and left me being able to write at least a four sentence paragraph, yeah. which is important. Um, and that's equity at work and equity mm -hmm. at play. And if he has another teacher that's not gonna hold the bar low for him and keeps it high, he will continue to grow and catch up. And mm -hmm. so it's kids like Jimmy that are hard to love and that come to us with so many needs that they feel un, um, insurmountable. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes it's easier for us to look at the problem and say it's too big and let's not do anything about it. Yeah. Maintain, rather than fix it, uh, right? Maintain status quo. Maintain status quo. And, you know, if we don't like what we have right now, why are we so interested in keeping it? Yeah. You know, but, and I just say that, like, I'm not interested in keeping the status quo. I don't like what I see. I don't like what this audit presented, mm -hmm. but based on, you know, our community feedback, our community is telling us that we like it here. Yeah. We, we don't need all of these kids to succeed. 
and I'm and, and I'm hoping and I'm hoping that's not true, right? I'm hoping that yeah. there's some community that sees the work that we're trying to do, because I think that that is even across any political line or wherever you fall on this issue, whether you think equity is CRT or not. I do think that we all want our kids to be successful because it is in our interest, all of our interests, for mm -hmm. our students to be educated and to have an educated populace. Mm -hmm. So how do we get there, right? Mm -hmm. So let's hop into these findings because we told you all that we would educate you about these findings so that there is no room for interpretation um, and so that you hear it straight from the horse's mouth about how this happened and why it happened this way and why we went about our audit in the way that we went about our audit. So finding one, Last week we talked about there being gaps between schools. Well, not last week, almost two or three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's how ago. much time we've had in between this. Sorry, y'all. Uh, the last time we met with you, we talked about there being gaps between schools and within schools, right? And every other finding can go back there. So finding one is concentrate. The concentration of underserved students is associated with inequity in school choice, school climate, and student achievement. So, what do you mean by concentration? So in places like Washington, D.C., um, if you are a black student or a white student, the chances are you're going to school 99.999% of the time with students who look like you. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is segregation at its finest, right? That's what we mean when we say segregation, that the chances of you seeing somebody who looks different from you in a school system are almost zero. Okay. Concentration is something different. In District 11, we have concentration, not segregation. So we have schools that have a lot of students of color and a lot of kids who are impacted by poverty and a lot of kids who are trying to acquire English, right? But it's, mm -hmm. not, a con it's not a segregated school where we have just the school of English language learners or just okay. the school of free and reduced lunch learners. It's just concentrated, like there's more numbers there so than other schools. there's a pocket of students mm -hmm. at this school who fall yeah. into this category. But like a okay. larger pocket than most, right? Like mm -hmm. concentrated juice. Okay, all right. <laughs> right. So, we know that concentration, the research tells us, that concentration has a negative association with student achievement. And the, re and the data in our district validates that research because our concentrated schools are performing worse in every achievement category across every grade level than other schools that are not concentrated. So our concentrated schools are like the Mitchell High Schools mm -hmm. and... Um, yeah. Monroe, yeah, it's elementary, school. and so those schools are seeing lower achievement, yeah, because of this high, these large pockets of students, right. right? Yeah, and so I think when we see findings like this, it's hard to not blame the kids who are concentrated. See, it's because they're all together, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard to not blame them. But what I see as our Director of Equity and Inclusion is the ways in which our organization created concentration, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that happens when we draw boundary lines wherever we draw them. That happens, um, you know, and this is not our district, this is a state thing, and there's nothing wrong with choice, mm -hmm. um, but our, our state is a, a, you know, a state of choice and you can choice your kids into different boundaries. That also happens in, you know, when choice becomes easier to uh, acquire mm -hmm. and again I, I have to to say this is not me being against choice I'm just making a point around this idea of choice and who gets to access choice yeah. um, because it's not always equitable and it's not always equal because 
and this doesn't have anything to do with race or even income. It has a lot to do even, I, I think I told you this before, like if I wanted to choice my kids into another school, I could not. Mm -hmm. And we are pretty, you know, pretty middle class, pretty stable. Mm -hmm. But I go to work every day on mm -hmm. a school schedule at the same time that my, my own kids have to be at school. So yeah. if there's not a bus or they can't walk to school, then I can't they, get them to a different get school. To go. Right. So there could very well be another school across town that might serve my student better. Mm -hmm. But I can't access that. Yeah. Right. And so what happens is you get all the students who aren't able to access choice concentrated in one school. And usually that looks like, you know, it's usually around poverty lines. So then you mm -hmm. have all of the issues that are associated with poverty. Mm -hmm. Right. And because we know of intersectionality, poverty and racial lines sometimes cross. So then mm -hmm. you have a school like Mitchell who is hitting every subgroup, like they have high English language learners, they have high IEP numbers. High free and reduced lunch. Mm -hmm. High kids of color. Mm -hmm. They're on the southeast side of town. So all of that is is be posing a problem for Mitchell, right? Mm -hmm. And I hate and I'm not picking on Mitchell because I, I mean we have Swagger and we have other schools over there, but I continuously bring Mitchell up because they're a part of like our district narrative right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have to be, and I say this so much and it's starting to feel repetitive, but we have to be honest about the ways in which we created the concentration in, yeah. our, in our district. These gaps in achievement and, you know, in all of the ways that there are gaps for these kids, we created them. They don't show up naturally. In nature. Yeah. <laughs> naturally deficient. Right. Like, They're so a poor kid something. is born. Does and, that make them dumb? Yeah, a kid is born to a family that is impacted by poverty, and so by some folks' logic, that kid just is not going to be successful. And not worth my time. That's, that's the problem. Mm -hmm. So what we do see, and I'm glad that you're talking about natural versus unnatural gaps, is that we see that we close the gaps or make them more narrow between elementary and middle school, which sticks to your point mm -hmm. that these gaps can close, mm -hmm. which again validates all the research around equity that these gaps can close. Seeing kids. Right. But from middle school to high school, like it explodes. What happens? I don't know. I don't either. And part of it might be about just the structure of high school and how much bigger it gets and how you, you know, might lose kids in the cracks. But mm -hmm. also I wonder, like, but we shouldn't be able to see that either. There's, there's some predictability there mm -hmm. that we know there will be smaller gaps, gaps in high school or in elementary school. But to that pattern, to that, the point of that pattern, those small gaps are going to do nothing but get bigger if we're not addressing it at each point in our system, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's a gap of 14 in elementary, but we're continuing to let those kids not do well, yes, it's going to get bigger in middle school, and right. yes, it's going to get bigger in high school. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, it will continue if we maintain the status quo. Right. I think, yeah, we're, it's, it's a little heavy today, and we're trying really, we're trying really hard to just show you our hearts and, and Zoe's like laughing. Yeah. She, it, it, it's hard, right? It's hard we're, today. we're usually hard. giggling and laughing at you all, but it's a little heavy. I think the big question out, out of this finding and out of our equity audit and out of all of the, the out of all of the pushback we've had against this work is this. How does this system respond to difference? 
And there's been a lot of focus on racial difference, but that's not the only difference I'm talking about. Right. How yeah. does this system respond to difference, whether it's economic, whether it's sexual orientation or gender, um, mm -hmm. whether it's a religious difference, whatever it is, immigrant status, like. How are we responding? How are we meeting those kids and seeing those kids? And according to the data, right, it's showing that we're not really responding well to difference. Mm -hmm. And that's all that I want us to address, right? Like, yeah. take those blinders off. Let's not play the blame game. We all have a piece in, in part of this system. We all have a piece in part of the solutions. Mm -hmm. um, we all have a role to play. Yes, and... but we have to take the blinders off and, and, and ask ourselves the tough questions, the hard questions, which are how are we responding to difference? Mm -hmm. How are we responding to difference? Because what this is telling me and finding one also is that just the way you show up gives you different access to school climate mm -hmm. and school choice and achievement. And we shouldn't be able to say that. Yeah. The kids were reporting, um, you know, in their 5E's essential survey with this finding and in the focus groups that were taken, um, we, you know, we were able to talk to a, um, probably about 40 different students um, from all walks of life, your honor roll student to your kiddo who has attendance concerns. And the one thing they reported about these concentrated schools is that they are not taken seriously and that their voices are not heard. And that mm. goes back to your core belief and value as an educator. Mm -hmm. Kids want to feel seen yeah, and they want to feel heard. And so where do we go from here? Like, I guess that's, we're going to we're gonna wrap it today yeah. and not belabor the point, but Zoe, where do we go from here? Where we know that we have unequal outcomes. We know that there's concentration in our schools and it's impacting our achievement and our climate. It's, where do we go? We got to believe the data. <laughs> yeah. And take responsibility for the data. This is, there's not an outside source to blame or I don't want to say blame because it's not blame. Yeah. But there's not an outside source that can fix this. And I, before it we has close to be this us. up, because I don't even want to go into my hot take, like this whole thing around responsibility and blame, like we have to start differentiating between that. Mm -hmm. Because you're right, it's not blame. Yeah. It's responsibility, right? What is our responsibility in fixing this system? Mm -hmm. What is our responsibility in teaching kids? So if you're, whether you're ESP, whether you're a teacher, whether you are an admin in a school or an admin in central ad administration, mm -hmm. what is your responsibility? Yeah, how do you play a role in finding a solution for this. Right. And some of us are on the front lines and mm -hmm. some of us are looking at systems improvement. Mm -hmm. Some of us have an aerial view of this. Yeah. But some we, of us are right in it. We all play a role. But we have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, I guess as I close, for me, the hot take is this idea that as a people, Karis one <laughs> talks a lot about will be fed poison, right, mm -hmm. from the world. Um, but the answers we seek lie with us, and I, and I, and I believe that. Um, the answers we seek are going to lie with the kids that we're seeking to improve mm -hmm. um, this system for. The answers we seek are going to lie with the teachers who are on the front lines every day and who are tired, and I acknowledge that um, because this is different. I, you know, schools and education, are, are like ground zero for a lot of stuff right now that doesn't mm -hmm. seem very fair. 
So teachers are tired, but right, you guys, they have the answers we seek. Mm -hmm. The ESP have the answers we seek. I think about the special education ESP today who might be getting bitten or kicked for very little pay, but they have the answers we seek. Yeah, and they're showing up every single yeah. day for your kids. Our principals have the answers we seek, right? Mm -hmm. Our central admin has the answers we seek, but most importantly, our community has the answers that we're seeking. And um, I think that there's nuance m missing from our conversations. I don't think that we're seeing each other or really listening to each other. But what I do want people to know is that Zoe and I are here because of our deep love for our community, because of our deep love for these students, because of our deep love for this system. Um, it's just like when your parents would punish you and say, I do this because I love you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we're not, we love this system too much to let us stay in our mess. Yep. We do. I, and I love these kids too much to let us stay in our mess. Yep. And you're a little emotional. <laughs> I'm a little emotional today. What's coming up for you? I think just how much I love these kiddos and how deserving they are of what we said we would give them. Yeah. And we're not giving it to them. And it hurts. And it does. <sighs> I'm done, though. And done. we're funny. <laughs> usually, y'all, we're usually giggling and laughing, but also we care very deeply. And we care very deeply about the work that we're doing. And we know that it's the right work. And it's really hard. Taking when you have blows. to take blows and still stand and still have integrity and still speak truth, um, even when, when it's misinterpreted. And I think that there have to be more conversations and we mm -hmm. have to appreciate nuance and we have to learn to talk to each other and things do not have to be this polarized, but we have the answers we seek. Mm -hmm. and. Zoe and I have work to do yep. <laughs> because our kids deserve it. That's what you yeah. said, and our kids deserve it, and I know they deserve it. And I am excited, like honestly, like looking to the horizon for what it looks like when we're not talking about the gaps in our system mm -hmm. because we figured out. How to fix it, Yeah, how to close them. Because we were able to have the conversations and we were able to Keep come to solutions forward. that hold everybody in the system accountable. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's it, y'all. So until next time, this is for equity. And we'll, we'll be talking about finding two. And, and we'll be back happy and laughing and giggling. <laughs> y'all take care. <laughs>